1: Welcome to the Mike here Show. This, of course, is your host, Mike Abadir. Today is Thursday, March 3rd. Can't believe we're already in March. This year is rolling right along, and we're going to get right to it today because we got a lot to talk about, and we got a fantastic guest. He's been on the show before multiple times. If you're a fan of horse racing, you definitely know him. He cannot enter a racetrack without hearing his nickname being serenaded to him. And if you're a fan of sports in general, you've seen a lot more of him Inc- incorporated into some of FanDuel's video analysis of games, products that you've seen on TVG and elsewhere. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Ice Cold Exacta Dave Weaver. That wasn't my best rendition. I'd actually practiced it a couple times a few minutes ago. I didn't get the octave right. But Dave, how does it feel that anytime you go into a racetrack, you're hearing that multiple times? Is that like a cool feeling? Or you're like, man, after whatever, 18 years of this, I'm just Dave Weaver. I don't need to be serenaded every time. How how do you feel about your song?
2: It would never get old. No, it's so never. cool. You know, you just walk in, even like Vegas or anywhere where there's kind of, you know, gambling involved, I guess. You know, you're not going to hear it um, at Walmart, although there have been a few times where it's kind of been non-racetrack places and somebody's like, hey, Dave. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's uh, ice cold. And then I'll – they'll just stop there, and then I'll just – I'll finish up with either you or or Quinella. I like or- to go with the Quinella sometimes because that's kind of like the – opposite of what you want to happen because it always comes in backwards. But yeah, no, believe me, it it will never get old.
1: That's like, what, race seven at Los Al. Sometimes they throw in this random Quinella every once in a while?
2: (laughs) In the five-horse field, yes.
1: Yeah. They substitute
2: the superfecta for a Quinella. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So how are you? It's been a while. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I mean you said I've been a multiple uh, participant on the show, and I think the last time I was on was i don 't even know four four years ago maybe i mean it's been a long time too long yeah, my friend
1: it has been a long time and and i 've been meaning to 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 circle back up with dave and i 'm always waiting for that right moment and then i'm like oh he's probably going to be involved with the preakness coverage or you right. know or that type of thing so I'm, I'm i'm glad to have you today i'm excited to have you today and uh, for those who don't know because we jumped right into it dave weaver is a racing analyst a television host with tvg the all horse racing network and also i don't know exactly what your title may be with FanDuel, but anybody that's watched tvg uh especially during football season we've seen you of course uh with with your handicapping, you know, it's usually about like about two and a half minutes on a particular game. You take a side, and so we've seen a lot of that thrown into TVG. How are you liking that?
2: Yeah, I've gone with the title of sports betting expert. I okay. don't know how accurate that may be, but uh, considering I've played sports for you know twenty five years or so, I think I can stack up my resume against uh, most people as far as knowing what I'm talking about. I'm not. A professional sports better so i'm not making my living by winning on these games but i definitely can uh explain the difference between minus 130 and plus 110 if any novices out there uh, would like to know sure and and are you enjoying
1: that aspect of uh um, love it you know your career if you will because it kind of just happened all of a sudden right i mean we'd we all of a sudden saw TVG kind of get into the sports gambling world in America, where it has been kind of globally for for a long time with Betfair, and um, you know I I think it's one of those things where it goes hand in hand in a lot of ways with you know horse wagering, you know a lot of guys that are into horse wagering are also into you know crossover other sports, especially probably football, NFL, college football, maybe during March Madness, etc. I know you're you're just a big sports fan in general and, and have had years of experience and you're very knowledgeable. This is something you're enjoying though. To, it kind of to go outside of the scope of just horse racing.
2: Very happy with, uh, with what's happened over the last four years or so. So, so TVG, yeah, you mentioned at Betfair and Patty Power, this big European conglomerate that just dominates gaming over there. Um, like exchange wagering, horse racing, um, online sportsbook, and they merged what the company called flutter entertainment so now it's just this huge london and and ireland-based um betting company that now owns tbg and the fanduel group which consists of fanduel sportsbook fanduel daily fantasy um Poker Stars falls under that umbrella. Fox Bet falls under that umbrella. So TBG just started out as this kind of little horse racing network that now is just part of the spokes of this huge wheel now that um, is giving me a chance to to do some different stuff. And it's been great since sports betting bill was passed four years ago, and New Jersey was the first state that it really hit a home run in. Um, They started starting to do a little bit more – programming for NFL. We do some other sports, but the big, big focus is on NFL. Everybody loves betting on the NFL, and I was making a trip back to the sportsbook in New Jersey every week. I would fly on Friday, do the show Sunday morning, and then come back. I did that for 17 weeks of the regular season. This is in 2018, and then all throughout the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Um, lately, we've been doing the show in our L.A. studio, so that, that travel has... And I come down, which I was actually starting to like going back there. I, I could probably move to New Jersey. But I, I've been very happy with still getting to do horse racing, albeit um, doing a big day of Santa Anita Goldstream on Saturday. But Thursday, we'll start with our March Madness coverage. But, yeah, it's been great. I mean, to tell tell me like five years ago that you're going to be talking about the NFL every week, I would have said absolutely not even possible and uh, and here i am getting a chance on radio row before the super bowl to talk to guys like chris godwin and sean alexander and keenan allen to do interviews with these stud football players of past and present and it was just such a, a great that was a great afternoon for me to be a part all week long on radio row i don't know if you've ever participated in that but it is just phenomenal
1: You know, I've been a part of of different things that are similar on the agent side of things. I, I do have media credentials to be able to do that. However, I've made a rule for myself, and I think I've mentioned this on the show a few times in the past. So for any regular listeners, you know this. I plan to never attend a Super Bowl unless I've got a client in the big game. That's just my thing. I want to be able to go there, virgin, all in, excited for my client and his team to win the big game. The closest I've been, I actually hosted... (laughs) I actually hosted the New York Giants victory party when they beat the Patriots when the game was in Scottsdale at my house. It wasn't planned. Wow. I don't think people thought the Giants were going to win. But all of a sudden, somebody was like, hey, let's shoot over to uh, Mike's house and – before I knew it, I had about 25 New York Giants players over at my place, and they brought with them um, a, a lot of fun people, a lot of good-looking people. Sure. And, and you know, before I knew it, I woke up at about 8 in the morning with a bunch of strangers in my house, as well as a few friends as well. Uh, but that's a close- a lot I've of
2: empty seen. bottles.
1: I had a lot of empty bottles, yeah. It was, um, yeah it was, a memory I'll, I will never forget. Now, you've been paired up quite a bit with Lisa Kearney, who any sports fan that watches SportsCenter, that watches ESPN, knows her from uh, co-anchoring the show, the big show, for several years. I think she was on there at least four years, I believe. And she's married to a retired NFL player as well. Um, So I know she's got football in her uh, veins, if you will. Is she as fun as she seems like she is she gives a great she's got a great personality gives off a great persona through the television medium is she a fun person to work with what's Lisa like
2: she is and she brings it every single show Um, I mean she makes it look so easy what she does she she just really keeps us in line and makes that whether it's a half hour or an hour just zip by and you know she's first and foremost an athlete she played college basketball you mentioned she married patrick kearney who was a and uh i think he had did have one pro bowl year in seattle and they live on the east coast but she flies out to la when she gets an opportunity to do the show here otherwise she'll go to the sports book um at the meadowlands to kind of anchor things there but every single show a plus a is plus, she into horse racing a too, plus. She she doesn't know horse racing. Um, okay. She she went to the Breeders Cup last year and was kind of part of TVG FanDuel entourage. And I think she might have presented the trophy during the FanDuel-sponsored race. And she texted me like, "Weaver, I need some picks." Like <laughs> she definitely on the horse racing side is going to ask for help, but not once ever on on the sports show has she ever needed any opinions or any help on, you know, how should I say this, or, it's, I mean, except for a few sports betting phrases in the very beginning, um, sure. some of the simple things that, you know, a 20-year veteran sports bettor is going to know that, that if you're just new to it, you just want to know, okay, is it giving points or laying points or getting sure. points, and just kind of those type of things in the beginning, she needs a little bit of help, not anymore, she is nails.
1: Nice. Now, of course, you text her back. Uh, during that Breeders' Cup. Yeah, uh, just play all of the the long-shot Japanese entrants and you'll be fine uh, for this Breeders' Cup, That would have
2: been a good suggestion on that day, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, speaking of horse racing, of course, can't have you on and not talk a little bit of horse racing. You know, and it's this is a very difficult time of year, more difficult than maybe ever before for me to plan on a show. Even though it's just once a week, you know, typically we're ready, you know, a couple of weeks into spring training and, and and talking a lot of, you know, expectations baseball wise and who's going to win more games, the Dodgers or the Padres this year and that type of stuff. So I think this is an opportunity for horse racing to really. Uh, Look, how many times do we say this is an opportunity for horse racing? But I think, look, this year it's kind of a wide open Kentucky Derby field. When you look at it, I was just kind of taking some notes uh, last night when I was preparing for any kind of Derby talk for this week's show. I usually every week will do that during the prep season anyways. And I noticed something that I don't think I've ever seen. Now, this isn't like a formal stat, but I haven't seen going into March where the top five point – winners or point leaders in the Derby point system are all horses that gained either all or most of their points from either Oaklawn or fairgrounds. Haven't seen that before.
2: Well, so epicenter. there's, Center, there's uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. There, there's, there's part of a reason for that kind of an okay. underlying story about this year's Kentucky Derby as well, okay. is that Bob Baffert, who officially now has, um, been disqualified from last year's Kentucky Derby win with mm-hmm. Medina Spirit. There was this long, drawn-out um, investigation into a trop- uh, topical cream, basically, that he was applying to that horse for what was a-, a skin rash that, in the end, got into the blood system, whether that was an in- intentional or not. It-, it tested positive over the limits of that steroid, and they finally made a ruling that he's that been disqualified as Kentucky Derby winner. As part of that disqualification, Bob Baffert is not allowed to participate in this year's Kentucky Derby. So any points that have been earned, he's still training horses that are in these prep races, but if a horse wins and it's supposed to get 50 points, that horse does not get those points. So there are a lot of California races that he's won where... The points just go away so that's why the horses winning in California for Baffert are not going to show up on the list and the point totals are going to be a lot lower because those points that normally would be accrued are not being accrued so
1: let me let me ask you this and and first of all I'm going to start off with a philosophical question is it worth at this point in time with Baffert's Resume, if you want to call it that, or history in terms of drug usage with the horses and stuff. Is it worth me saying, by the way, the topical cream that was applied or the levels that were administered were legal in California, but not in that jurisdiction, not in Kentucky. Is it worth me even saying that now? Or is it just like, Hey, you know, we all think he's great, but he's a lot like Barry Bonds in that we just don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody can can have their own opinion on it. And they're, you know, in this day of social media, there are people that are just Baffert haters that, you know, call him a cheater every day. And then there are the other half that are saying, come on, the guy's a great trainer. You know, it's impossible to you know, get everything perfect with thousands of different horses you're sending out to the track and not have an accident happen once in a while that, that are saying, you know, give me a break. This is just, you know, a, a BS disqualification. I'm I'm kind of neutral. Like, I don't know. I've never trained a horse, you know. Um, I don't know exactly, you know, what, what what goes on with that. So I'm not here to say one side or the other. What I do know is that he is adamant that This is not a disqualification that that should have happened, and they are basically filing a civil lawsuit against Churchill to basically halt that ban that they placed on him to, to run horses at the track, and especially in the Kentucky Derby and Kentucky Oaks, so... Could something change between now and then? I don't think so. I don't think there's, there's going to be this window of time where they lift that ban on him participating in this year's Derby. If any of his horses were to compete, I would think that the owners would have to take them from him and put them in, in, in somebody else's barn and try to go into these point races that remain and earn those points. Otherwise, it just doesn't look like there's any possibility for him being a participant.
1: Okay, we need to take a quick timeout, but I have two follow-up questions about that. Do you have time to hang with us for a little bit longer?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Dave Weaver, the man himself, Ice Cold Exacta, Quinella, the legend. Stay <laughs> with us. We will be right back after this.
3: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
0: Talking with TVG and FanDuel's
1: Dave Weaver, Mr. Ice Cold Exacta himself. We were just talking about the Bob Bapper situation and what that means for this uh, upcoming Kentucky Derby and possible Triple Crown picture. We'll talk about what is it that what does that mean for the Preakness and the Belmont as well in a moment. But you'd mentioned owners and maybe taking them to another barn. What about Barnes? What about Jimmy Barnes? Is is there something prohibiting? his assistant trainer from being the trainer of record and moving forward be able to have one of those horses his owner's horses enter the Kentucky Derby is that a possibility or is it just kind of like you and your entire organization are banned
2: I haven't read the, the actual ruling but I would think that it's it's the it's the latter of those two like it would just be too easy to change it like that and put in your assistant's name. I know I was reading a report, um, Report PollockReport.com, that kind of referenced a California rule that on suspensions, and this is a Kentucky ruling, but usually it's universal and other states would adapt to it. But the California CHRB rule that I read on the Pollock Report is that any trainer suspension that is more than 60 days See, I think for the 15-day, you can you can have your assistant run the stable until you're back. But anything that's 60 days or more, that is not allowed, and you need to physically, like, vacate the property. Like, you have to take your signage down off the shed road. You, you have to uh, essentially not exist. Now, this would be a 90-day suspension if it's upheld in that manner. So I, I'm wondering if the CHRB would enforce that that rule that I was reading about, and and in that case, then Jimmy Bard would not be able to just take over. See, it's such a hard it's thing. It's really to interesting. F-
1: yeah, it's it's a hard thing to figure out what I would do if I was an owner. You know, I'm just trying to put myself in their shoes, especially if I have a, like a long-standing relationship with Bob Baffert. You know, he's been training my horses for many, many years, and hopefully for many years to come. But you only get an opportunity to get to qualify into the kentucky derby or to have a horse that has the ability to get the points to get there it, it's like super bowls you know you may never get there again joe burrow like dan marino or you may get there you know 10 more times like like or nine more times like tom brady you you, you just don't know what these things if i own a horse and i've got that runner do i consider switching barns do, will Will Bob Baffert under, be understanding of that predicament, especially if I'm maybe one of his longstanding owners that has not tasted the Kentucky Derby yet? It's, it's such a it's, – it's a very difficult position, I think, to be in. And you would have to wonder, would Bob understand? Like, hey, I get it. You've got a horse, got a lot of abilities, but he doesn't want to lose that horse. And I think maybe it would – help kind of soften the blow a little bit if the rest of the Triple Crown races could be kind of mapped out, you know, and and a campaign for the rest of the year where, okay, skipping the Kentucky Derby isn't the end of the world because we can run in the Preakness. But then you're probably going to have a roadblock in New York. Am I correct about that?
2: Yeah, both uh, Naira and... Well, I, I think he already sued Naira, who had suspended him, and, and got that one reversed, though, because he has a horse starting tomorrow in the Gotham Stakes. So I think he's cleared now um, for New York, but, but Kentucky's still going to be a problem. But to answer your question, it's March now already, and none of these owners have backed away from saying, look, you're our man. They haven't taken the horses away. So it mm-hmm. seems like he has the full faith of all of his owners that – this is going to get corrected, um, and if they miss the Derby, I think they're willing to to do that this year. Otherwise, why wouldn't they have already made a decision to say, "Look, this isn't going the direction that we thought it would." You know, we're running out of time. Let's you know hit the panic button and and do that. And not, I can't think of one of the Kentucky Derby contenders that has been that has been moved.
1: No, I haven't heard of any. Now with that said, I think this year is kind of ripe and and wide open when you look at the top 20. We've entered March as we've both mentioned a couple of times, and the 19th place horse in the standings in the rankings has 7 points. And there's a bunch of horses with just 10 points. So from 11 onward, it's it's between 6 and 10 points. So th- there there are a lot of spots that are still available. You know, in fact, outside of the top two spots, which are at 64 and 54, and the second one is kind of an interesting horse, by the way, Unoho, who, for those who don't speak Spanish, that's a one-eye, could could a one-eyed horse win the Kentucky Derby? could be interesting. But like I was mentioning earlier, Dave, the top five horses, all of them, they've gained their points either at Fairgrounds or Oakland. I don't think I've ever seen that before.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think... That's going to change tomorrow because there's a 50, or Saturday rather, there's a 50-point race in Santa Anita, a 50-point race in Florida, there's a 50-point race in New York. So clearly that trend is going to start to end as other horses in other regions start to pick up points. And then we're going to have 100-point races uh, in about three and four weeks out from now where the leaderboard's really going to start to get... Uh, you know, it up. But the reality is, it usually takes 25, maybe 30 points to have a chance. You you might get in this year with like 12 or 14.
1: Yeah, I mean, right now there's only three points. The ha- uh, three horses that have 30 or more points. That's not a lot. I mean, that that means that they're, you know, like you're talking about, if it takes typically that many points, well, there are 17 horses that don't have that that number of points or nowhere near that. It's still very early, but I think that this, this is going to be one of those years where um, you're probably going get, to get some value, I would suspect, on any... Do you, do you participate in any of the early wagering uh, pools that are provided throughout the Kentucky Derby prep season?
2: No, I need... Uh instant gratification on my bet so <laughs> if it's gonna take like five months for me to cash a ticket other than i gotta say and I'm, I'm bragging a little bit i did bet the rams to win the super bowl at 14 to one before the season started but i'm normally a guy that just what's my interest in, in tying up my money for five or six months so no i stay away from the future horse racing then. now were
1: you that much of a believer of matthew stafford or yes. was it their defense or all the above obviously
2: It was mostly Stafford. I'm like, this guy is coming to LA. He's finally getting out of Detroit. I knew their defense was good. And I was under the impression that Cam Akers was going to have a huge breakout year. This is before he had gotten injured. And then he got hurt, like right after I made my bet. And I'm like, well, there that goes. And then, you know, their running backs. They got him through the year. You know, they kind of had to get Weber, bring in Sony Michelle in. And I mean, they did what they needed to do, but yes, the, the primary reason was Matthew Stafford. And I have arguments with my friends all the time that think he's terrible. And, you know, well, Cooper Cup's the best receiver in the league. Of course, he's going to be good. Calvin Johnson's the best receiver in the league. Of course, he's going to be good. Well, maybe he made these guys good receivers. Like Cooper Cup had 900 yards, I think, the previous year, and he had 2,000 this year. Maybe Stafford made a difference, don't you think?
1: They Whatever it was, they sure had chemistry. That that's undeniable. I mean, they they both they, they both played like they've been playing together for a long time. And you make an interesting point about Megatron. You know, he had Megatron there as well, and um, I, I think maybe it's just one of those cases where you know he's had good receivers in, in both places, but the rest of the package just wasn't there in Detroit. And it's let's face it, it's never there right? Whether you have a hall of famer yeah, like yeah. Barry Sanders in the backfield or, or it doesn't matter. They've been fortunate in that the only reason that they've been relevant in many, many, many years is because they've either had a Barry Sanders or a Megatron or, or a Matthew Stafford, right? Look, football is just one of those sports. It's different than any other sport in that you could take the same person and put him on another team. And his career is completely different. And that's very unlike baseball, right? where, in baseball, if you're a good hitter, you know, if you're consistent, well, now people don't care if you're a 300 hitter, I suppose. But, I mean, kind of for most of my life, if you're a 300 hitter in Tampa, you're a 300 hitter in San Francisco, you're a 300 hitter in Milwaukee, right? And if that's if that's what your production is like, you're, you're going to be considered a really good player. You're going to be an all-star. But in football, it's so different because you could take somebody – and, and put him on a, on a different team as a quarterback. Who knows if Tom Brady started off his career with the Atlanta Falcons, he may not have been in, in the league for three years. I mean, that, that's how wide open football is, and and the systems that you get put in, and the coaches that 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 are, you know you surround the players with, and 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 the talent that's around you, and how do you put that all together? It really makes it the penultimate team sport, unlike anything else. And you're completely dependent on the next guy for you to be able to do your job successfully. I mean, I know I'm kind of going off on, on, on a rant here, but, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, really quick story, Dave. So about 12 or so years ago, um, it, it, was, it was a year that was considered a, a not big maybe it was 13, 14, I don't know, several years ago, Dave. It was, it was considered a, a draft that was not loaded necessarily with running back talent. So it was going to be Darren McFadden and then everybody else. It just happened to be one of those years. And it was, it was that year, I believe it was stacked with like D linemen. They had a lot of really good defensive ends. So when the draft came and went, there were two teams that were calling me about a player that was available. He's a running back. His name is Lewis Rankin. Now, for any Raider fans, they know kind of the conclusion of the story in that when undrafted free agency happens, it's literally the minute that the last pick in the seventh round has been selected, teams call you and say, hey, we want this guy. You got two minutes to decide or else we're moving on to the next guy. Right on, I hung up with the Raiders and I said, I'm going to talk to my guy and I'll get right back to you. The Houston Texans called and they said, our number one player that we want as a running back is Lewis Rankin. We had a short time to make a decision. He went with the Raiders because Al Davis himself got on the phone with us and said, even though we got Darren McFadden, you're gonna have plenty of opportunity to get some reps in. You guys could be a legendary tandem. We bought on that, Dave, okay? So they, the Texans went to the next guy on their list and his name was Arian Foster. He was a troubled running back from Tennessee that nobody uh, had given the draft grade to. He was a good, productive running back. But he was their second choice. So now, fast forward many years after Arian Foster has uh, you know, several running, a you know, couple of running titles under his belt, led the league in rushing and that kind of thing, you can't help but think if the roles were reversed – how would the career trajectories have gone and that's kind of my point that's always the point that I bring up when we're talking about players and fits and systems and and all those kind of things so props to you for giving Stafford the proper weight and, and, and consideration because a lot of most people didn't not necessarily most as in, like, there were a lot of people that are coming down on him, but there were a lot of people that had more question marks than I'm going to go put my money on him to lead this team to the Super Bowl. So that was a long way of saying big props to you, Dave.
2: Yeah, and the help that their defense kicks ass, too. You know, the, the defense, I, I, don't, I don't think Matt Stafford won that Super Bowl as much as their defense did because he made some mistakes. He threw some interceptions, and every time the Bengals needed to come down and capitalize in the second half, Rams were able to get the ball back and keep getting the ball back and eventually Stafford throws the winning touchdown but credit to their defense just uh, as, as equally important all year long
1: yeah no no doubt about that their defense it was peaking at the right time and hey Beth they they were a deserving Super Bowl champ and you know I'm not sure that they're necessarily the type of team that's you know, going to be a, a repeat champion or not? yet. I think there's still some question marks, but that's the beauty of football—is you know, it's it's a wide open game, and Tom Brady's not there anymore. And so, the, one of the topics of last week's show was now that Roethlisberger and Brady, uh, and and Drew Brees are gone, and between yeah. those three guys, we're talking about 13 or so Super Bowls appearances between them. Who? picks up the mantle next and with my guest last week a former NFL player Adrian Ross we were kind of looking at it and there's kind of not a lot of guys to necessarily anoint as that next guy you know Mahomes obviously comes to mind um, but then you have the types that are dual threats like the Josh Allen's is and, and Lamar Jackson, et cetera, uh, maybe a Russell Wilson. But any any quick thoughts on that or or in your mind, is this, hey, this is ripe for Stafford to get back there again, um, assuming that they're able to kind of shore up that running game. And now with some continuity, they're going to be my favorite once again.
2: No, it's not going to be easy. I mean, let's face it. The, The Super Bowl was essentially handed to them on a silver platter when San Francisco beat Green Bay at Lambeau. So imagine the Rams have to go to Lambeau instead of hosting the Niners. That's a huge swing. And then instead of having to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, they get another touchdown underdog, the Bengals, to beat the Chiefs. So, you know, to get through the last two games, the championship game and the Super Bowl, they had to beat the Niners and the Bengals. I mean... It couldn't have come any easier. Not that you don't you don't control who you're playing. Sure, but I mean that was like totally gift wrapped for them. That you you got to give them credit for going into Tampa and beating Tom and essentially forcing him into retirement after that loss. So credit given for that win, but I don't think it was really too tough to win the next two games after that. So it'll be a long it'll be a long season, and I don't think that they can do it again. All those names you threw out there, Josh Allen, to me is the one that could just take over this league the next 10 years and just start, you know, winning championship after championship.
1: Yeah. I'm not, um, I'm not a big believer myself, only from the perspective of, uh, we just haven't seen too many coaching staffs be able to figure out how to use those dual threats most effectively. How, how do you maximize the team production, in in that type of setting with a player like a Lamar Jackson or like a Josh Allen my theory is because it's so unconventional or historically unconventional at least that the coaching staffs have to spend so much time on figuring out how to best use that type of talent that maybe other areas um, aren't tended to as much as they could or should it's just a theory but who knows Maybe the next three or four Super Bowl winning quarterbacks are that dual threat type of style where you just never know. And I know people could say, well, Mahomes, it it kind of is. But Mahomes, to me, still is a a really good pure passer. He's a good pocket passing quarterback, whereas I I cannot put Lamar or Josh Allen – in that kind of category just yet for me personally. But, hey, I've been wrong many, many times before when it comes to quarterbacks. Dave, do you have a few more minutes? I know I asked you that about 15 minutes ago. Do you got a few more to join us for uh, the final segment?
2: I can do this all day long, Mike.
1: Oh, love it. Love it. Mr. Ice Cold Exacta and Mike Avedere will be back with you right after this.
3: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Mike Now, back to this week's program.
1: So, as I mentioned at the top of the show, during this time of year, typically, a little bit more, takes a little bit more creativity to come up with the lineup, uh, the program, the topics, etc. Especially this year with MLB and what's going on. And of course, it seems like a lot of people's attentions, and deservedly so, has been to more important matters uh, in in the world overall than sports in particular. But I did want to get your thoughts, Dave, while I've got you here, on uh, a couple of things and, and as I mentioned to you in the text, this was going to be more of kind of a barber shop style conversation where we're kind of jumping back and forth. I did want to talk to you a little bit about baseball and what's going on with the labor issues there, but before I do back to the Baffert thing for a quick moment. I know we're a little bit jumpy here but it could be interesting to see if the door opens back up for a an absolute legend of the sport in D. Wayne Lucas. For those who don't know why i'm bringing him up right now is because he's got a horse that is a legitimate kentucky oaks prospect uh in secret oath who just won the grade three honeybee and then last weekend i'd mentioned uh one eye uno uh, Uno oho who won uh, won at Oaklawn in the rebel and the runner-up was ethereal road who ran a very good race could have won Uh, second place winner in, in the G2 Rebel right now I believe he's sitting at number four he's fourth in the rankings for the derby quick thoughts Dwayne Lucas the legend himself the coach it would be awfully nice to see him have runners in both of these contests
2: he might have two Kentucky Derby horses. You know, he's not afraid to run a filly against the boys, and that wow. topic has come up a, a lot with him. And he's not afraid to consider it. I think right now he's planning on running her in what would be the next big stakes race, the Fantasy at Oaklawn, and then uh, Ethereal Road would go to the Arkansas Derby. But don't be surprised if he throws a curveball and, and tries to. Get some Derby points to make a run into Kentucky Derby because she is that type of a filly where he knows she might be able to be something special and beat the boys.
1: Is there a beside from from the prestige from from a breeding perspective? I mean, would that even enhance the? I mean, does it matter when you're talking about? you know, boys versus girls, you know, Hey, she, she won the Oaks. You're going to get the peak dollar anyway, or, or would that even elevate even that much more? Uh, excuse my ignorance, but I'm just kind of curious as to kind of what the right answer is on that.
2: I mean, when you're, if you win either of those, like, like what, what does it do? It makes you worth 25 million instead of 20 million. Like either <laughs> yeah. either way, if you were able to win the Oaks, you're, you're worth so much money. But I think at this day and age, 2022, to have a Philly win the Derby, I mean that's just a total throwback thing, where you just don't even see them try it anymore. That that it would, that it would uh, spike her values pretty considerably.
1: Well, and I think popularity-wise, it would it would kind of um, be be maybe zenyatta esque where where you have that girl power thing going on, and, and a lot of people coming out with T-shirts and and a, a lot of uh, positive energy for as we always say a sport that could always use an injection here and there this would be like a a really cool thing to witness I think even just as a horse racing fan
2: I'd love to see it and if it's not the derby maybe he'll pull the string in the the Preakness I've been covering the Preakness now for TVG for I think it's going to be my seventh year coming up California Chrome was the first time that I got a chance to go to the Preakness or any Triple Crown event for that matter and if you've never been to Pimlico, it's old school. It's, you know, one of the oldest tracks, if not the oldest track in America. I think sometime during the late 1800s it was built. And there's a barn area that's unlike any other track. It's only for the stakes horses. So it's called the Stakes Barn, where all the Preakness horses all are. All the Black Eyed Susan horses are. The Pimlico Special, all these big stakes races have all the good horses in one location. And that's D. Wayne Lucas' favorite hangout. You'll just see him sitting on the bench. 7 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. All these other trainers come and go. There's no other spot in the world that he'd like to be than sitting there at Stakes Barn, and I've had many conversations with him um, just hanging out, you know, shooting the breeze. And to me, knowing how much he loves the Preakness, maybe he runs her in the Kentucky Oaks, but then takes his home run swing in the Preakness just because I just know how special that place is to him
1: sure and you know i think you would you'd have to be pretty sure of of what you're doing uh especially in a situation where you know you you probably have you know if she wins the kentucky oaks you're probably going to have the odds on favorite in the black-eyed susan um so i think you know to to make that decision i think you'd feel pretty confident i mean that's like rachel alexandra-esque confidence with your horse
2: he he has the confidence in this horse no doubt about that but maybe it's just too much too soon right now to to make that move but shorter distance in the Preakness too and just a kind of different configuration of the track that it might make more sense for him to wait but we'll see
1: Sure. And just worth mentioning for, for some of the listeners out there who are thinking, you know, when, when when you're talking about old school track, Pimlico for the Preakness, et cetera, I equate the tracks and I've been to a few. Um, I've not nearly as many as I'd like to, but I've been coast to coast to a bunch of different tracks and I equate that to, no, it's not just all you know, horses running in a oval. The track themselves are uh, attractions, in the same way that Fenway Park or Wrigley Field. You know, different. You know, just completely different designs and fields, and the type of fans and the energy that's there is uh, is, is something that's always worth seeing in my book. So that's one track that i haven't been to i hope the race stays there forever and and never moves anywhere else we'll see what politics brings us but because time is limited want to get your quick thoughts on um on on the lockout i know obviously that's going to be Something that a lot of people are keeping their eye out on. I think the people that get left out of the conversation quite a bit are those who are economically going to be impacted, who aren't the players and the owners, like the concession stand people, the parking, st- uh, parking lot folks, attendants, the security individuals, everybody involved with the game day operations, etc., who need those hours, need, need those uh, few bucks that come in it's got a a pretty big impact especially too we got a war going on right now so you have a lot of people that are you know kind of going back and forth about big dollar amounts with that said i think this one has a little bit of a different feel dave because it's it's an owner's lockout and not a player's strike and i think the public is really backing the players on this one it seems like the sentiment is for the owners to kind of hey get get this done because this is going to be a black eye on the sport and i know manfred's gotten a lot of hate thrown his way uh just to quickly mention some of the the sticking points the major issue is service time manipulation by by the clubs Uh, another key point is the size and format of the postseason the luxury tax is always going to be a big one and then some of the specific rule changes that the clubs want to implement um banning the shift uh introduction of the pitch clock and making it permanent and then oversized bases do you hear about that one dave they want to increase the size of the bases what do you what do you make of all of this
2: well would that for safety purposes like so you wouldn't have to slide into such a small target and and possibly injure up on double plays or to make it easier to touch it when you're running or what, what i'll the, tell you is i'm uh, what would the logic fair, be behind
1: that yeah that's a great question i feel fairly educated to be able to discuss just about any one of the points that i rattled off except for that last one because if it was a safety thing then i think the players would be all for it so that one is one that i am not really understanding and getting and and i haven't heard anybody give me a, a legitimate explanation as to why the teams want us so badly and why the players are opposed to it but aside from that one, I mean, there's a lot of interesting points here. You know, what's interesting to me is that the players don't want an expanded postseason. You would think intuitively that, hey, I want to have my chance to get to the World Series. Why not? Well, that one's an interesting explanation because the owners are, are saying, well, it's going to the, bring the game more money, which means more money to you guys. But the hidden counter argument to that, which is where the players are citing Dave, is that what will happen is this. You'll have less teams that go after big name free agents or spend money on middle of the road free agents if they think they've got what it takes as is to get to the playoffs because there are 14 spots now. So it's kind of an interesting well, like, secret issue almost like that people don't really talk about. It's, it's almost counterintuitive, but when you kind of hear it and, and you digest it, it makes a little bit of sense. You know what I mean? Like now teams going into the season, they don't feel that need because it's just less exclusive. More teams are going to make it. It's not quite like the NBA, but th- they're thinking ultimately it leads to less dollars into the players' pockets.
2: Well, at this point... They need to figure it out because there are a lot of people like me, and I feel for the first thing you talked about were not not the, the owners or the, the players making the big bucks, but mm-hmm. the the popcorn sellers and the ticket sellers and yep. the parking lot attendants. The, the people that need the season to happen to, to live, but if the season, because they weren't playing baseball a month from now, i would find something else to do like and and i think most of america might be leaning that same way like if you don't get this going baseball's going to be forgotten pretty quickly
1: yeah now on that note you mentioned earlier that fan duel you know it's let's face it it's it's about the nfl but what uh, maybe not necessarily even in percentages but how is daily fantasy doing with baseball, is that is that a big product that they're gearing up for? Where now you have a lot of the, the boardroom execs are like, man, what are we going to do with this, with this, with this lockout? Obviously, they want the games being played, but how big of a part is it of the the FanDuel product line in the spring?
2: I would think that it's more popular on the fantasy side than it is on the sports betting side. People, you know, love to play fantasy baseball, and it's a long season too. So there's games every day football, you know, it's once a week with the exception of Thursdays or Mondays, but you know there's always going to be a baseball you know, daily fantasy that you can play. It's not as popular. Um, Sports bettors, there are certain people that specialize in baseball and they love betting baseball, but for the most part people like to bet on football and when football season's down, they might dabble in it, but not something that I don't think anybody gets, the average person gets extremely passionate about wanting to, to bet you know, baseball every single day so I will think you be right. a part of that because when fantasy, it comes back the fantasy side would miss it more
1: yeah I'm sure well I was just gonna ask you is that something that you'll be a part of once it does come back are you gonna do any you know today's you know fantasy player uh, uh, that I'm throwing out there is you know Giancarlo Stanton or a, a, any of those types no. of quick hits that we're gonna get during the season
2: no, there are people within the company that, that do do that, and they're good at it. That wouldn't be me. I pretty much would just stick to, you know, whenever we have a sports betting show, talk about it. We usually don't design anything around baseball season, so it probably wouldn't affect me one way or the other.
1: Dave, we have uh, just a few seconds left here let the listeners know how they can follow you your pics uh, anything uh, else social media wise and uh, just so that everybody knows we are also brothers in the Sam Thompson Memorial Foundation we both are uh, board members and um, if you haven't checked them out yet please do Sam Thompson Memorial Foundation do a lot of really good stuff for the horse racing community and for the uh, you know, scholarship fund that's involved with that and everything of that nature but how can how can our listeners follow you and anything that you want to plug on the road uh, on the way out the door here.
2: Yeah, we need to get the sticks out and get the golf tournament going and raise some money for the foundation. Maybe we can do that sometime soon. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm not like an Instagram guy, not a TikToker. Twitter is my spot at Ice Exacta, and then you can catch me on TVG most days talking horse racing. Or Thursday morning, typically, is more ways to win. That's where we do our our FanDuel sports betting discussion. Uh, That's channel 602 on DirecTV and on most cables now. Or you can download the WOC TVG app on uh, OTT devices like uh, Roku and Amazon Fire TV and all that stuff.
1: There you have it, folks. Dave, I promise it's not going to be four years between your next visit, I hope. (laughs) Thank you so much. I've had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, best of luck with everything. I am following you more than you're following me because I'm a TVG lover. And so uh, keep up the great work over there.
2: All right, Mike. Thanks. Appreciate it.
1: That is Dave Weaver, TVG, FanDuel. Check him out. That's all the time we have for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Without you, there's no show. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.